Welcome to Fast Fiction. 16 and such a long way to go. A mother's lament. Mum, where are my white jeans? I opened my eyes with reluctance to see my youngest son standing before me, his face struggling with self-control as he cross-examined an obviously deaf, almost senile mother. Mum, where are my white jeans? This time it was delivered with attitude. 7.05 a.m. Saturday. It was on again. Another birthday party. I groaned. The figure beside me, partially hidden under the doona, also groaned. I tried to join him in a similar soporific state by pulling the doona over my head, but the weight of a sleeping cat took up the slack. One flight down in the garage, these indications that the house was at last stirring were conveyed to our overstimulated, oversexed golden cocker spaniel, who barked these good tidings to the neighbourhood. I lay in bed grappling with the notion of sixty teenage revellers invading my home for the annual pilgrimage yet again. They would take over the house by a blend of squatters' rights and majority rules, and with experience as my guide I had a sneaking suspicion that no matter how diligent I was, there would be little chance of any evictions before the entire five dozen fifteen-year-old trying to act twenty became stupefied by alcohol. It was an idea even the Marines would find daunting, and just to add to the depression in the distance, I could hear the soft, thudding rhythm of rain beating a relentless pattern of doom. Even the weather gods had deserted me. Throwing all my belief systems to the wind, I fervently did a deal with them. If it stopped raining within the next hour, I would recommence regular donations to the blood bank. I would... But wait, a slight glimmer of rectification, retribution. It was not another birthday party. It was the birthday party, the final birthday party. A tiny smile crept around my heart. Two teenage boys, 32 parties. Just one more and we would be free. By 8am the rain had not stopped. Once again religion had let me down. I vowed to re-examine the teachings of Buddha, Mormonism and the Moonies. Maybe I would do better with them. In the meanwhile, there was work to be done. Birthday parties are an extraordinary paradox of civilised customs. On the day of birth, it is the mother who does all the hard work, for which she is justly congratulated. But thereafter, every twelve months, she becomes a beast of burden, forced by social convention to welcome into her home with a Madonna-like smile the demoniac youngsters who arrive like Jekyll and depart like Hyde. Carefully prepared food is snatched, gobbled and trodden into the floor. Carefully engineered games are mutineered. Girls get giggly and boys develop smoker's cough. And the centre of attention, the birthday boy, takes on a power role unsurpassed at any other situation. In early grade school, materialism is rife. You can't come to my party unless you bring a present. A little later, bribery becomes the key. If you don't help me do my homework, you can't come to my party. Chauvinism and sexual political incorrectness are out of control. Your sister can come, but you can't. 
because she's pretty and you're not. And always power is absolute. This is my party and you have to do as I say. We have witness parties where the five-year-old host was so excited he threw up before the first guest arrived. Or at six, when he was so obnoxious he was sent to his room until the last guest had gone home. We have experienced parties where the boy next door, holding his own party on the same day, decided ours was more fun and brought his 25 best friends over the fence to join us. Then he complained because there was not enough party favours to go round. And we have come to the retrograde conclusion that if it is humanly possible for any five years to ten years to put anything into your ear or up your nose, it is obligatory to try it at one of our annual birthday parties. All those small plastic toys manufactured by shifty backyard companies that are banned by consumer affairs seem to finish up being fished out of the orifices of our party guests. Also, having two boys born a few years apart means that birthday mistakes are repeated in an instant replay, with no opportunity to rewrite the script. You let my brother do that, so why can't I? The parent who comes up with a good answer to that one should be canonised. Unlike wine, children's parties do not improve with age. They just include girls. I began to resent the way parents of young females casually dropped their precious virgins into the lair of my two red-blooded teenage boys with little thought for the strain it imposes, trying to keep them in such a pure, unsullied state at the end of the festivities. Didn't they realise it necessitated me endorsing supervisory tactics akin to those found in Pentridge Prison? The rain pelted down all day, the grass lawns turned into mud, food was prepared and the house decorated in a profusion of balloons, among which I suspected were a number of overly extended condoms. About 8pm the guests arrived, walked through the mud and transferred it to the carpet. The girls giggled and went to the bathroom in pairs. The boys leered at them indolently between bouts of smoker's cough and shared dirty stories. The music was loud and invasive and the party games questionable. In fact, the substitution of pin the tail on the donkey was positively obscene. By early evening, I was down six dozen hamburgers, four kilos of sausages, two dozen bottles of soft drink, and the bar had been raided for anything remotely alcoholic, including half a dozen bottles of long-lost exploding ginger beer. Potato chips now added colour and texture to the carpet. I was not sure what was in the brown paper bags now being distributed and fervently hoped it was for medicinal purposes only. Two hours later, I had a racking headache. My throat was sore and my husband had disappeared away without leave into the unknown on the premise of buying something we didn't need. Feeling an alien in my own home, I patrolled the game's room every 30 minutes and noted with despair the girls had stopped giggling and the boys had stopped coughing. There was an alarming quiet. The dog, which had enjoyed sampling most of the dregs from the glasses, was looking positively seedy and was suffering from a severe case of hiccups, while the cat, high on whatever had been in the paper bags, was chasing hallucinatory mice that had apparently hidden themselves into the depths of the sofa. By 10pm I was down to raiding the freezer for anything containing carbohydrates without sugar. 
By 11pm, there was only cereal left in the house, and the cat was guarding the fridge, sharpening his claws against possible gorilla invasion of his meaty bites. By midnight, most of the under-sixteens had been picked up by parents, while I hid in the loo, so as not to be assassinated for allowing their offspring to impersonate Agent 007 in any one of his many guises. With a husband AWOL, a sick dog, and a ballistic cat, it just left me and the diehards. By 12.30am, two small groups had settled in for the long haul of deep and meaningful discussions on the pros and cons of sex education in preschool and whether or not Justin Timberlake would ever make a comeback. 1am, and I had developed a tick on my left cheek. By 1.30, only half a dozen stalwarts remained. Oh joy, they were getting dozy. It was time for my last line of defensive strategy. Cups of hot chocolate all round, soft dreamy music to replace the hard punk, and half an hour later they were all sleeping on the couch, chairs, floor, and under the table. I tiptoed around the house like Florence Nightingale, dispensing blankets, pillows, and sleeping bags. Just to be on the safe side as best I could, I checked they were all boys. Four were definite. One, I had been told, on good authority, was ACDC, while the one on the stairs was an unknown, especially as no one had seemed to know his name or had even met him before. I found my missing mate in the bedroom, impersonating a man enjoying a near-death experience. From the package on the side table, I could see this enviable state had been initiated by two Valiums. Jumping into bed, I gave him a vigorous kick for being a traitor and within seconds I was reaching that blessed sanctuary of sleep myself. Oh, happy day. I had survived. Mum, where are the cornflakes? 7.05 a.m. Outside, the incantation of lawn mowers proclaimed it to be Sunday. Beside me, my mate muttered something incomprehensible and put his head under the pillow. Down in the garage, heavy breathing proclaimed the dog still vaguely vigilant as security mogul, whereas the absence of the cat suggested he was still guarding the great god fridge against an invasion of phantom rodents. The first rays of a friendly sun were dancing in the window. God was in his heaven and all was right with the world. I mumbled something about craving a nice hot cup of tea and received a big slobbery kiss on my cheek from my smiling son. I'll get it for you, Mum. That's the least I can do for you. I glowed in maternal modesty for a job well done. As he brought the tea in, I asked him how he had enjoyed his party. I was not prepared for the answer that would reduce me to a moronic, dribbling idiot. Oh, it was beaut, Mum. I just can't wait till my 18th. You have been listening to Sixteen and Such a Long Way to Go, A Mother's Lament, written and read by Brianda Cross.